Psalm 90 is a prayer of Moses. Matthew Henry uh, makes this comment about Psalm 90. He says, probably Moses penned this prayer to be daily used, either by the people in their tents or at least by the priests in the tabernacle service during their tedious fatigue in the wilderness. Now, that's, that's a very helpful thing to think about. Moses leading the people in this prayer, writing this prayer. And you might at first think, well, what is that? how is that of help to us? What, what does um, a prayer written for people during their tedious time in the wilderness, what does that have to do with us? Well, it has everything to do with us. Um, Psalm 90 was written by Moses for the sake of teaching those people and exhorting those people to not fail to put their hope in God. Uh, it, it is um, a prayer where they are they're instructed how to pray. Um, hopefully, I mean, the intention was praying in the context of them enduring with God's promise to deliver them into the land of rest, to the land of promise. You remember the, this promise given to Abraham originally and... Uh, being brought to pass with God promising to deliver them out of uh, the bondage and the misery and the deprivation of slavery, out of that and into uh, the land of freedom, the land of rest and abundance and joy. So that's the, this is the context, this promise that God would deliver them over the Jordan into the land of rest, into the promised land. Now, we know, we know how to interpret Psalm 90. Let me give you a couple of places in the Scripture that tell us how to do this. Uh, Romans 15.4, you've heard this many times. It says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the endurance and the comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Okay, so let's apply that to Psalm 90. Psalm 90 is for us, so that we might have full confidence in God to deliver us out of the bondage and the misery of sin and into his rest, into freedom from sin. So Psalm 90 is designed to strengthen endurance with the promise, deliverance from the bondage of, uh, and the misery and the slavery of sin into God's promised rest. It's designed to strengthen our endurance in that. And you can think of it this way as well, that Psalm 90 is, is going to be of great help and strength to you today. If you'll listen to it, if you'll, if you'll uh, pay attention to what it's saying and meditate upon its truths, the psalm is encouraging you, as, it, as Moses was trying to encourage the people there in the wilderness... The, the psalm will encourage you to walk by faith in things not seen yet, because that was their situation, right? To walk with faith in the promise that God would deliver them, and so likewise we have to walk by faith in things not yet seen. There are things promised to us. There is a de there's a deliverance into rest, and we're waiting for that ultimately, while what we have, while what we see is wilderness and toil.
We have things promised that we don't see yet, and we have to endure with the promise while we ourselves are in our own tedious wilderness experience. Now, here's another place in the scripture that tells us how to interpret Psalm 90, and this is from Hebrews 4. Now, uh, listen to the interpretive help that Hebrews 4 gives to you and, and but when you think about Psalm 90. Here's what Hebrews 4 verse 1 says. It says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Now you might be thinking, well, entering in the rest, does that, doesn't that have to do just with crossing the River Jordan and into this place of Middle East real estate? Well, apparently not. Because there is, there is a promise that remains, Hebrews 4 says. Let, and we need to pay attention to this promise and endure with the promise lest we come short of entering into that rest. Hebrews 4 verse 2. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, that is, the people that Moses was preaching to, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Well, lo and behold, look what we have here. In Psalm 90, we have an example of Moses preaching to them. But why is it that those people, so many of them, had this preaching from Moses, Psalm 90 being an example, and they 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 fail in the wilderness. They, they disobeyed. They did not hold on to the promise and that thus they were not allowed to enter into God's rest. Well, why is that? Because they had things like this. They had things like Psalm 90. They had other sermons that Moses was preaching, other prayers that he would have been directing them in, and they didn't mix their listening with faith. So there was, it wasn't an auditory problem. They could hear, they could hear what Moses said but they weren't entrusting themselves to the gospel promises that Moses was communicating. All right? That's why it didn't profit them. Hebrews 4, verse 3. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said, so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. Now this takes us back to Genesis. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again he designates a certain day, saying in David, and this is from Psalm 95, saying in David, today. After such a long time as it has been said, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now here's the, what, here's the point of the text. We are being exhorted to enter into God's rest. But Psalm 90 ultimately, and Hebrews 4, is not talking about the entrance of rest that you do by your feet. It's an entrance into the Lord's rest that you do by faith. And so this is why it says here, why David, so many years after some of those people did actually cross the Jordan, why so many years after that, David is preaching to people who are, in, who are occupying that Middle East real estate 
They're there. They're already there. They're occupying it. And yet, David is still preaching to them to enter into that rest. So David must be speaking of a different rest than the physical than what the physical fulfillment was. David is exhorting those people to enter into the rest. It must be something other than where their feet are. It must have something to do with where their faith must be. And that's why the reference to Genesis. When those people crossed with their feet over the Jordan into that land, that was not the ultimate fulfillment of what is indicated in the book of Genesis, when God rested from his works on the seventh day. That rest is indicating something to us ultimate. There's an ultimate entrance into joy and rest and deliverance from toil. Did Joshua give the people that rest indicated in the book of Genesis? The answer is no, he did not. And that's why David has to keep preaching for the people to enter into the rest. Hebrews 4 verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he, and this I think I believe is speaking of the Lord Jesus, our Savior, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us, therefore, be diligent to enter that rest. That is to say, let us be diligent to endure with the gospel promises that we will enter into that eternal Sabbath rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Now, do you need that? Would you admit that you need to be strengthened today to not fall according to the same example of disobedience that we see in the people that Moses preached to? They did not endure with a promise. They murmured and they complained, and they doubted God, and they did not literally enter into the rest, and that was but a picture of the horrible reality of the eternal rest that they did not enter into. And it's this eternal rest that is preached to us today. And this is how you can be encouraged if you'll give your attention to Psalm 90. This is the point that Moses is working for with Psalm 90, and this was written down for our learning this was written down for the sake of our endurance. Let me, point out, let me point out a few things for you. Number one, the eternal nature of God. Look at verses 1 and 2, Psalm 90. Do you, need, do you need to be strengthened for endurance? Begin with who God is. Prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place. In all generations, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So the call to endure with the gospel promise, no matter what, requires that we begin with who God is. I, I, I hope this is kind of obvious to you. I mean, how shall we endure in trusting what glorious things God has promised us in Christ if we do not remember who's making the promise. If we, if we doubt the promise, we, we need to ask, who, who is it that we're doubting? Verses 1 and 2 are immediately convicting, aren't they? Because it lays open the reality that with even the smallest lack of confidence in the gospel promises, it's rooted in a sinful questioning of the nature and the power of the promise maker. 
And perhaps we need to ask the Lord for his forgiveness if we have done that. That we have doubted his power, we've doubted who he is to keep the promise. The people of God in this life are in their wilderness phase with many difficulties, with many persecutions. Difficulties come along and we're tempted to be shaken into doubting. We wonder if God really has secured our salvation. We can begin to be shaken in that way. And along with all that, the wilderness doesn't provide us with any abiding home. Strangers and pilgrims are what we are called. We dwell in tents. We walk by faith in things not yet seen. We have our hopes set forward to a city that has a permanent foundation. We have our hopes set forward upon a dwelling not made by hands, but we're not there yet. We have to walk by faith in the promise that God has given us. But if you are united to Christ, just how safe are you in this wilderness? Right? If, if God is your place of refuge, then notice that your fortress is from everlasting to everlasting. That's where you have to begin. In this tedious time of your walking in the wilderness, if you are united to Christ, how safe are you really in the wilderness? Your fortress is from everlasting to everlasting. That's where you need to begin today for the strengthening of your soul. Judge your salvation not by sight of the trials of the wilderness, but by faith in who God is and what he has promised. Okay? But from there, there's a, second, there's a second thing that you need to go to, and that's who you are. Notice verses 3 through 6. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away, that is these people, generations, you sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. So the call to endure with the gospel promise includes the call for us to humbly acknowledge not only God's eternity, not only uh, the reliability of our fortress, but we must humbly acknowledge today our mortality. Look at the people in the wilderness who fell, who did not enter into the land of rest. What do they put their trust in? Did they not trust themselves? What fools to put their trust in dust? What fools we are to plant any hope in our own strength. These verses are also very convicting, aren't they? What fools we are to imagine that we can build with our hands and establish ourselves forever. If you could live for 930 years like Adam, you like Adam would have a life that God calls brief. If a thousand years is to God like to us a moment so quick like it's, that it's already passed, like a passing dream in the night, then what is the life of a man? How strong is it really? It's brief, the Lord says. It's easily swept away. And that's very convicting if we're looking to ourselves and looking to our own strength to deliver ourselves into lasting rest. Isn't that very convicting? 
Notice the third thing here. We notice God's wrath, verses 7 through 11. It says, For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Our lives are brief, and in our bodies we quickly return to dust. Let us humbly acknowledge why that's the case. It's not an accident. It's not an accident. It's not just the way things happen to be. It is because of the entrance of sin into this world and because of the entrance of sin, the entrance of death into this world. That's why God says to man, return to the dust from which you were made. We're brought to an end, Moses says, by your anger. We consider this situation that we have in this life, this dusty end that we face with our bodies, this vanity that is always upon the works of our hands. We could labor for 930 years like Adam, and in the end, we return to dust. Why is that? Moses says this is by the anger of the Lord. This is by a righteous dispensing of wrath. It's right. Do you need encouragement today to endure with the promise? Begin with a confession of God's power. Begin with a confession of who God is. This is the foundation of your hope, and then follow that with a repentance from trusting in your own imagined power, because what power is there in this dust? We are quickly brought to an end. And let us then confess that this is right. This is a righteous display of God's anger against sin. It's not mistreatment, is it? It's not mistreatment. And you can hear the murmuring and the complaining of those that Moses preached to. Can't you hear that echoing in your ears? Can't you hear all of them complaining as if God was mistreating them because of what they were going through? As if God was delivering something unfair and unjust to them? No, Moses saying, you've got to quit saying that. No, this is a righteous display. We're brought to an end by the wrath of God. It is right for God to say to man that you will return to the dust from which you were made. So where does that leave us today before we pray and before we listen to the preaching of God's word? Where does that all leave us? What was the point of Psalm 90 as Moses is preaching it to them and what's its point for us today? What, what is this moving you to do? Well, I hope that it moves you to make an appeal to God's mercy. Notice verses 12 through 17. <coughs> so teach us, Moses says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to, your, to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, Establish the work of our hands. So here's the application. This is what we ought to be praying. 
as we say to the Lord, teach me to number my days. That is, I think, to say, Lord, teach us to accurately, truthfully, humbly, repentantly measure my helplessness before you. Lord, teach me to truthfully, humbly, repentantly measure my powerlessness before you and my hopelessness before you if I don't have your mercy. You see the appeal that we are drawn to make here before the Lord. Repenting of making any appeal based upon our own strength, making, repenting of making any appeal based on any foolish notion that God owes us some good thing. No, we make an appeal to him on the basis of his mercy. And we can hear again the people in the wilderness crying out. You can hear them, right? Complaining about their food, complaining about the lack of their other creaturely comforts. And here Moses preaches for them to hunger for the satisfaction of God's mercy. Okay, so the bread might have been lacking or the meat might have been lacking. But what about God's mercy? Where is their appeal for that? Where is their hunger for his mercy? This is what Moses is preaching to them. And because they, they were hungering for all the wrong things, devoting themselves to all kinds of vain toiling, they did not enter the Sabbath rest. And it was far worse than not just crossing the Jordan because those that fell in the wilderness did not enter into the Sabbath rest which had been promised from the very beginning. And that's the rest that Hebrews 4 is exhorting us to. All right, so that's where we are. We are in a time of tedious wilderness wandering. We need strength for endurance while we wait. We have to wait for the Lord's return. We have to wait for that deliverance. We have here in Psalm 90 what we need.